0: Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, to grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message Stop that. Uh,. that's so awkward not to mention that's the first time that's ever happened and i'd like to know why that is so so (laughs) uh, hey uh in the summer of 2000 summer of 2000 i graduated from college i got married and i started my dream job it was an amazing amazing summer and I started working at this church uh, in Colorado Springs. It was an influential church. It was called New Life Church. And it really was my dream job. And I became the youth pastor there. was there for about 10 years. And it really was a dream come true for me. It was everything that I wanted. It was everything that I felt called to in ministry. And it had a very interesting kind of culture that I began to experience, though, which was that it was very fast-paced. There's a lot of dynamics. Everybody's working really hard. And there was kind of this mentality that, hey, we're, we're all just kind of buddies and friends and in deep relationship. And so we're doing this ministry thing together. And so we're just going to work hard and we're going to work long hours. And we're going we're to extend the kingdom of God. We're going to build God's kingdom around the earth and through our city and really, really exciting stuff. But it meant that I often got really tired. And it also often meant that I didn't see my wife or uh, when I had kids, my kids very often. And there was even kind of this mentality that they would, would kind of say, yeah, but, but now is the season, now is the time when we're young and we're really building the kingdom of God and, and you, can, you can kind of see your family later. <laughs> Nobody ever necessarily said that out loud. Well, maybe one or two people did. But, uh, but that was just kind of the mentality of it. And so we were we long hours. We work hard. We do a bunch of stuff. And so... Oh, incredibly, uh, stuff was happening. I mean, the church was growing. The student ministry that I was leading was growing. We started around 200 or so kids, and we ended up growing over the course of the years to about 1,200 to 1,400 teenagers coming through on a week. And so really dynamic and incredible, and that church was, uh, the pastor of that church was making calls to the White House and, uh, every week, and I mean, it was, it was an influential church. We were going somewhere. We were doing some stuff. But my soul was tired and kind of sick. I wasn't doing that well. And uh, some of you know the story. You've been around for a while, so you've heard the story where we had a scandal and it was really a nationwide and, and really honestly kind of a worldwide scandal. Everybody kind of knew about us. And I'm talking about like CNN trucks and Fox News trucks and local news stations in the parking lot of the church all the time trying to get to us and interview us about what was going on. It was not a lot of fun. Uh, most of you know, a, a year later, there was a shooting on our campus, and so we had to hide from a gunman, and it was a tragic thing, and a couple of teenagers lost their lives, and it just was a really difficult time, and so we, and we had that pastor and the scandal was removed, and a new pastor came in, and, and so things started to settle down a little bit, but I was still tired. And so that pastor actually gave everybody who had been at that church for seven years a sabbatical, a season of rest. And so I got, for the first time, six weeks off to not work, to just lay back. I wasn't allowed to come in. I wasn't allowed to call. I wasn't allowed to talk to to my employees. I wasn't allowed to my team. I couldn't do any of that. I just had to withdraw and rest, and something happened to me. I saw my family really for the first time. I saw my wife and my kids for the first time. And I can tell you that God did such a deep work in my heart that I've never been the same again. And my love for my family and my commitment prior priority to them has, has never, it's never gone back again. I've started to see better what the priorities are supposed to look like and how you're really supposed to live this Christian life. Am I saying that I'm perfect? Well, yeah. No. No, I'm far, far from it. I'm far from it, but I'm learning and I'm growing. And so today I want to talk to you about what happened to me and what I hope can happen in your life. Most of you know we've been in this series called Work Life and, and we're finishing it today and we've talked all about how work is so important and how how God created it and designed you to do it and it's a good thing and we've talked about how... How he wants to partner with you in the earth. And we've talked about last week how you've got a dual vocation to go out and make culture. But also to go and make disciples. It's really kind of transformed the way that I've thought about my work week. And I hope it's done the same for you. But we've read this verse, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. Everybody say rule. Rule Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. Over the livestock and all the wild animals. Over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful. Thank you, Jesus. And increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And we've kind of encapsulated this series with this one phrase. That word there, to rule, to rule means to actively partner with God and taking the world somewhere. And that is where he purposed and destined for it to go. So honestly, the reality is most people are really good with work. Most of us kind of get it. In fact, many of us are too good at work. We do even a little bit too much of it. If you walk around and you just ask somebody on the street, hey, how you doing? What's the most common response? Good. I'm good, but busy. I'm so busy. Oh, so many things going on. I'm so busy. Which really what we're all kind of trying to communicate is, I'm so important. <laughs> I'm doing a bunch of stuff. Like, I'm in it. I am big time. I'm going. I'm shaking. I'm, 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 I am needed. Nobody ever says, bored frankly (laughs) nobody ever says i've been watching a lot of netflix spent about an hour and a half on instagram uh you know i just kind of enjoying my boring mediocre life nobody says that we all say i'm busy i'm needed i'm important i'm doing stuff the reality is, is that workaholism has kind of become a badge of honor in our culture we work hard we're busy we're busy working most people work more than 40 hours per week it's become an easy thing to do, and it's because our office is now right here in the palm of our hand in our smartphones. And so where you used to have to go to the office, you used to have to open up your computer or, you know, get some paper out or whatever, uh, we used to have to, now your office just comes to you. Your office shows up, your email shows up, and people want to talk to you through Slack, and they turn the lights off on you, and, and they're trying to get me to hurry or something. I don't know. So... Your, your, all of your work is coming to you, and it's doing that day and night. Most of us, we wake up in the morning, and the first thing we do is pick up our phone and check it. Yes. Most of us, the last thing we do before we go to bed is we take that phone out, we go through the last emails, and we put it away, and then we sleep oh so good. We're busy working. Studies show that Americans work more per year than most nations. We work 137 hours more per year than the Japanese. We work 260 hours more per year than the British. We work 499 hours more per year than the French. But that's the French, so does it really count? I don't know. It doesn't matter. (laughs) We work more than just about everybody. 37% of Americans take less than seven vacation days a year. That's approaching half. Less than seven vacation days a year. Only 14% of Americans take two weeks of vacation a year. Just 14%. And 20% of us stay in touch with work while we're away on vacation. You're doing it wrong! We work. Today's Labor Day weekend. It is a day where we honor the American labor movement and all the contributions to the development, productivity, and well being of our nation. And all that's right and good. It's appropriate. We should do that. But we don't just fill our lives with work, we also fill our lives with leisure. We're overscheduled and oftentimes with such good things. My friends and my family and my group that I go to, church stuff. I've got my hobbies, social media. There's stuff to do. We live in Austin, man. There's Lady Bird Lake, and I love to get out and get on a paddleboard, and I love to go tubing down by San Marcos. I, I love this. There's so many restaurants to go to downtown. I want to go and jump on a scooter and drive around and irritate everybody. I want to I do all of those things. Some people even go to the gym. I don't understand it, but they do. (laughs) The reality is we don't have an issue with work. We have an issue with rest. We do. We're also overscheduled. We're running from thing to thing to thing. The reality is we're not healthy. Our souls aren't healthy. We're tired and run down. We're running on fumes. And that affects every area of our lives. And the enemy honestly would love for you to keep doing that. Corey Ten Boom, uh, most of you have heard that name maybe, a famous Holocaust survivor and written some books, incredible woman. She wrote, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. Get preoccupied so you don't have time to do the things that you should. Dallas Willard, theologian, he said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. You get depleted. You don't have what it takes to be the person God's called you to be. So there's no doubt that God created humans to work. I've just spent the the past four weeks through Scripture trying to convince you that that's true. But do the Scriptures have anything to say about what we should do should we stop? Do the Scriptures have anything to say about us resting? Well, the reality is, yes, they do. Now, today I'm only going to be able to do a primer. I'm only going to be able to start this process, but I hope it'll be meaningful to you, and you'll want to continue to ask questions, and, and we'll talk about it here at our church. But Genesis 1, 31 says, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day, declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, we already know that God is a worker. He goes to work and he's creating all of this beautiful world and in fact all the cosmos and he makes animals and he makes man and he makes woman and it's all very good. And then after six days, he finishes this work of creation and you thought your week was productive. He finishes and then after he's done working, God rested. I just need you to look at those two words really quick. God rested. God rested. Yeah, but Brent, I'm an entrepreneur, man. I got a goal. This thing, this startup is not going to fly unless I, no, God rested. Yeah, but Brent, I'm a a student. It's senior year, man. My grades got to be good. I got to, no, God rested. Yeah, but I'm just a type A personality, man. I just, this is what I do. I'm just out there. I'm moving. I'm shaking. No, God rested. (laughs) That word rested in Hebrew is Shabbat, and it means to stop, to cease. To be done. It's where we get the word Sabbath. Uh, This word also, though, can mean to be complete. And also carries this idea that means to celebrate. So God, who doesn't need a nap, who doesn't get tired, who's not grumpy or weak or complaining, who's not shuffling his feet. Oh, all this creation, so much to do. Oh, God who doesn't do that. God who doesn't nap. God who's unlike anybody else in all of creation. God rested. Remember, we're made in the image of God. We are his image bearers. Our job is to reflect what God is like to the world. And so that means that if God works, we work. If God rests, we rest. (laughs) I like you. (laughs) God does both because work and rest were made to go together. Now, if you don't learn how to work well, you won't be able to rest well. Because you'll just be bored. You're lazy. you just, oh, you can't do either. But on the other hand, if you don't learn to rest well, you won't be able to work well. Why? Because you're exhausted, because you're depleted, because your soul is empty. Work and rest are not enemies. They're friends and they work together. So after six days of creating the cosmos, God rested. And when he did, what God did was he hardwired a rhythm into creation itself and he set an example for us. He worked for six days and he rested for one. We work for six days and we rest for one. Six and one, six and one, six and one. And that cadence is what he designed to keep you healthy and make you flourish. The problem is, in America, that regular rhythm of work doesn't work for us. We don't make it work. We don't obey this. Actually, I've read a little bit and heard that that France actually tried to change this this cadence, this this seven-day work week. Sometime around, I think it was after the French Revolution, I think, they said, let's try a 10-day week. Doesn't that sound fun, everybody? Let's change this. Let's be more productive. And do you know what happened? Depression rose. Suicide rose. You weren't meant to work that way. The way God set up humans to flourish is to work six and rest for one. And you already know this. You already know that you need rest. You already know that when you rest, you're fulfilled, you're happy, you can do the things you're called to do. It strengthens you, it helps you. You look at the world and your situations and it's better. Rest gives you new life. And that's why God set this cadence up. So that you could live the way he wanted you to. And we call it the Sabbath. The Sabbath is just a 24-hour period to rest, worship, and delight. The Sabbath is a 24 hour period to rest, worship, and delight. It is not just a day for rest. It is a day to stop, to rest, to pay attention, to worship God, to delight in Him and His good creation. A Sabbath is not just a day off. It's not a day off. A day off is when you just stop working for your employer. That's what a day off is. So what you do is you do all the other stuff. I gotta mow the lawn. I gotta wash the car. I gotta pay the bills. I gotta get the clean house. I gotta go shopping. I'm gonna hit up a movie. And all of that is really, really good. We should do those things, but a Sabbath is not those. It's something altogether different. A Sabbath is a day for rest and worship. Pete Scazzaro, in a book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader, he says a biblical Sabbath is where you stop work, you enjoy rest, you practice delight, and you contemplate God in his creation. So the filter, if you start living this way, the filter for Sabbath is rest, worship, and delight. Listen to what John Mark Comer, he's a pastor who's really been influential as we've gone through this work-life series. In a book called Garden City, he says, there's a rhythm to this world. For six days, we rule and subdue and work and draw out and labor and bleed and wrestle and fight with the ground. If you haven't been here the past four weeks, that sounds real weird. If you've been here, it makes sense. But when we take a step back and for 24 hours, but then we, take, we step back for 24 hours, we Sabbath. We enjoy the fruit of our labor. We delight in God and in his world. We celebrate life, we rest, we worship. The creator God is inviting us to join him in this rhythm the interplay of work and rest. And when we don't accept his invitation, we reap the consequences, fatigue, burnout, anxiety, depression, busyness, starved relationships, worn down immune systems, low energy levels, anger, tension, confusion, emptiness. These are the signs of a life without rest. Does any of that list sound familiar to you? (laughs) If you continue, what he's saying is if you continue to violate your limits and live this overscheduled life, then you're gonna end up taking a rest one way or another. And we can decide to do it the way God set it up or we can decide to do it because we have to. The Sabbath, it's kind of like when you, when you finish a long, hard day of yard work. You know that feeling? You just finish and it looks so good and all the beds are perfect and everything just looks awesome and so you sit back on the porch with a, with, with a beverage of some kind. <laughs> and you just look at it and go, oh. That's so good. I'm so, I'm just enjoying this moment. I'm just enjoying what's been done. And you delight. You're present with God and with your family. You stop performing and producing. You don't try to accomplish anything and you don't have any guilt. So one of the first places we see this show up, of course, is in the Ten Commandments. And they get kind of bad reputation, the Ten Commandments, because people think it's just a bunch of rules, a bunch of do's and don'ts. But, of course, it's so much more. These showed Israel how they were supposed to live as God's people. And so they're found in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And Torah is a word that basically means teachings, or some say law, So here it is in the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verse 8 Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your sons or daughter, nor your male or female servant, your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. So here in Exodus, these Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, it's rooted in the story of creation. It's rooted in this story and then how God stopped and rested. So the Sabbath is about rest. It's about delight. It's about worship. But did you know there are actually kind of two Torahs and two versions of this Ten Commandments? The first one is this one. It's given to Israel when they left Egypt. And, of course, they go out and they wander around in the desert and they made a mess of everything. They didn't do what they were supposed to do and everybody all dies off. It's a wonderful tale. But four decades later now, a new generation is ready to go into the promised land. And so that's when the second Torah was written. It's in Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is from two Greek words that basically means second law. Are you with me, everybody? And so essentially what we're reading, it's a sermon, and it's Moses, and he's preparing the next generation by retelling all the old stories. So you get two versions of the Ten Commandments, Exodus and Deuteronomy, and they're almost exactly the same, but they have two different endings. So 40 years after those 10 commandments that we just read, after leaving Egypt, they're wandering through the desert. Moses stands up now and he says in Deuteronomy 5, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work neither you nor your son or daughter or male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Now listen, he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So here, it's not rooted in creation like it is in Exodus. Here it's, it's rooted in something completely different, the Exodus story. And actually, this he says the Sabbath is an act of defiance against Egypt and the Pharaoh and slavery. John Mark Comer says, At Sinai, it's a way of saying yes to God and his world. That's what we do. In Deuteronomy, it's a way of saying no to Egypt and its system. At Sinai, it's an invitation to join God and his delight. In Deuteronomy, it's a warning to stay away from Egypt's way of life. What are we talking about? Well, in Egypt, the Israelites were slaves, obviously. There was no rest. Slaves don't get to rest. Slaves don't Sabbath. So they work and they produce and then they die. Rest is not an option. So as you read through Exodus in chapter five, you can see these demands that are placed on them. And just over and over, get back to work, do your work. Um, you're gonna get less straw. You gotta go find your straw, but your workload is not gonna be decreased. All these things, go, go, drive, drive, do, do, produce, produce. So it wasn't just the Pharaoh that was driving them. It was really the entire economic system of Egypt. So they're working, they're making bricks to build up cities and just so Egypt can store all of their excess. It's disgusting, actually. (laughs) And it was never enough, always more, produce, get more, make more, build more, work more. Does any of this sound familiar to you? Work harder, work longer, work faster, produce, make more. you got to get more. You're only as good as what you produce. you got to make sure you get your quota for the day. This is how many of us live in America today. So we don't call it Egypt anymore. We sometimes just call it business. (laughs) You might call it consumerism. You might call it capitalism. You might call it Black Friday. You might call it 0.5% financing. You might call it credit, and you see it everywhere you go, on your phone, on TV, as you walk through the store, driving down the road, Egypt is still screaming at you. Egypt is still telling you, you got to work more, you got to own more, you got to get more, you got to have more. Who cares what it costs you? Who cares where it comes from? You deserve it. Go out and get it. You don't have enough. You need some more money. Listen, I love this country. I'm so incredibly thankful to live here in America, but I think we may have fallen prey to this. Moses says in Deuteronomy, remember, you were slaves in Egypt. Well, that's pretty dumb, Moses. Honestly, that's ridiculous. Like we're gonna forget. Why is he saying that? Because the truth is, we're kind of addicted to Egypt. We're kind of addicted to the production. We sort of like it. I gotta produce or I don't amount to anything. I mean, my work is my identity. My work is who I am. My house is not big enough. My car's not nice enough. My phone's not new enough. There's a little bit of Pharaoh in all of us. This endless desire for more. Work more, produce more, get more, bigger and better. So God sets the Sabbath so that we can leave the system of Egypt behind. You don't have to work anymore. You don't have to produce today. You don't have to do what the slave driver tells you to do. It's freedom from having to produce, freedom from finding my identity in my work, freedom from the endless desire to have something bigger and better. Look, we work more than ever before and we have more than ever before. We actually make up 22% of the global economy but only have 4% of the population. Since 1950, the per capita income has tripled in America. And the average American home has jumped 1,000 square feet from about 1,300 to 2,300 square feet and anything less than that we're like oh that's too small the average family though has been cut in half from 4.32 to 2.58 whoever's got 0.58 kids I'm not sure how that works but (laughs) but that's what the stats say they don't lie we have all of this but even with all this we're more depressed than ever before $250 $250 250, $250 billion per year spent on prescription drugs. Antidepressants are the second highest prescription after cholesterol medication. <laughs> we got issues. <laughs> one in 10 people are on antidepressants, and really it ends up being more like one in four over a lifetime. And that looks, that's, that's not a problem. People sometimes need that. I get it. But mental illness, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, ADHD, they're exploding across our country we work more than ever before, we have more than ever before, and we're miserable. It's Egypt all over again. Because what happens is you get stuff and it's just like Christmas. You're like, oh, it's so good, but I didn't realize all the things that I now need. I, mean, I got this shirt and these pair of pants, but I don't have any shoes to wear with it. So I got to run out and buy some shoes after Christmas is over. My wife and I and my family, we just, we just went and got uh, a turntable. We got a record player. I've just went been wanting to get into vinyl for a little bit. I'm of the age now where I want to remember the past. <laughs> Thankfully, it's a seemingly hip thing to do, so I'm hitting both. So we go out and buy this record player, and I set it up, and it's like, oh, that's so nice, but, but I need records. I got to go get records. I need more. I got to have more. Do you see it? Like, this is exactly how it works. So Moses wants them to remember, you were slaves in Egypt. Not you were slaves in Egypt, you were slaves in Egypt. As in, you're not anymore. The Pharaoh is dead, you're free. You don't live in that system anymore. Your value, your worth, it's not tied to your accomplishments. It's not tied to what you produce. The goal of work is not to get more. It's to partner with God and take his good world somewhere. He wants to set you free from it. So the Sabbath is about resistance. The Sabbath is about resistance to that thing, resistance to the system of the world, resistance to needing more, working more. The Sabbath is the way to say to God and to the systems of the world, to Egypt, I have enough. And more than that, I am enough, just like I am. Sabbath is a way to break our addictions to production and stuff. Egypt is no more, and I'm enough just as I am. There aren't any slave drivers anymore, everybody, only the ones that are in your head. Well, my boss, okay, fine. (laughs) But really, it's the ones in our head that's driving us. But I am not what I produce. The quality of my life, my joy, my peace, it doesn't rise and fall with my income. Pharaoh is gone, Egypt is gone. I'm not a slave to any of it anymore. I am free. And now, I'm a part of a different kingdom, and I serve a different king and he's a good king, and he works, and he rests, and we're partners, and we're taking his world somewhere. Sabbath is about rest and resistance. Team, why don't you guys come back on up, and we're gonna get close here. Closer. Now, do you see it? Are you getting the picture? Like I said, it's only a primer today, but I can tell you it's absolutely revolutionized my entire life and my emotional health. Now, there's all sorts of debate about whether or not we should keep the Sabbath. I know some of you are, are, you're thinking it. You're like, well, one group says, we don't have to do this. We're New Testament believers, Brent. I don't know if you know this. We're New Testament believers, so that's Old Testament law. We don't have to do that. The other group says, well, Sabbath actually predates Old Testament law. Sabbath actually predates sin. And I think all those arguments are so interesting and kind of fun to have, but they completely miss the point. Who cares? I don't care. Who cares? It's a gift from God. I get to rest. I get to stop. I get to be refreshed. I get to refuel my life. I get to pause once a week and say, I have enough. I don't need any more. I get to say, I am enough. I don't have to earn your love or favor, God. You take me just as I am without producing anything. I get to do this and I want to do this. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. And it still just stands as wisdom in our lives. And by the way, I do think even before God handed out the law, God rested. I think it predates. So Exodus sixteen twenty nine says, bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Yes, it ends up as a commandment in the Old Testament, but it's also a gift. And I can tell you, as I was working in that church that I started this message with, I was unhealthy and my performance, my, sorry, my identity was tied to my performance in that church. If I had a Wednesday night full of students and a bunch of stuff going on, then I was a success. I was good. I was, God was pleased. The pastor was pleased. I was a good Christian. I was a good worker. Is that me? I was good. But if we had a down night, if there weren't kids there, then I was a failure. I'm a bad Christian. I'm a bad pastor. I. You see it? And some of you feel that way about your work. My identity is tied to what I produce and what I don't produce. My identity is tied to my income, my ups or downs. My identity is tied to what car I drive or how big my house is. And so when I took that sabbatical, when I stopped and rested, what happened for me was the first week of that sabbatical, God reached into my heart because I wasn't able to produce anything. So I'm left wondering, who am I? I'm not producing now. I'm not even allowed to produce anything. I just have to go rest. And God reached into my heart and he pulled that performance out of my life. And he pulled that that, uh, need to produce out of my life and said, that's not your identity. You are a son of the most high God and that's good enough for you. And I've never been the same after it. And so every week as my family and I, we Sabbath, I'm reminded of that truth over and over and over again. So I just want to give you a few things because people freak out. Whoa, 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 what am I supposed to do? How do I do this? How am I supposed? So if you want to start the journey a little bit, I just want to give you a few things that might help you as you get started because people are like, well, how, sh- can I clean the house? Should I not clean the house? What about exercise? I love to exercise. Should I exercise? Maybe I should. Maybe that's not rest. Maybe that's, is that work? Can I go running? You could, but why would you? <laughs> what about gardening? I love gardening. Can I garden? Don't worry about all that stuff. Some stuff is clearly work, you know, opening up your computer, checking emails, going to the office, building stuff. Some stuff is clearly rest, sleeping, laying in a hammock, um, reading a book that you love. But when you're not sure, just use the filter. Is this life giving? I don't think it's me because I'm sitting totally still. (laughs) When you're not sure, just use the filter. Is this life giving? Does this allow me to rest, to worship, and to delight in God and His creation? Just use that as your filter and you'll be okay. If it does, then just do that thing. Rest and worship are kind of broad and they're free. But just a heads up, if you're going to do this, it will take you time to figure it out for you and your family. And it'll be a little frustrating at first. You're going to do it and you're going to be so used to producing and working and fighting that you're going to stop and go, oh, I feel so bad. Brent, this is a terrible idea. Why did you even suggest this? I'm mad. I'm yelling at my kids. I'm fighting with my wife. It's because Egypt has to get worked out of you. And that production has to get worked out of you. This is not a day off. This is a day to rest, worship, and delight. And so what you've got to do is you've got to make sure to take some time and prepare for it. So actually what we do, we do this really weird thing. We take it on Friday. Sorry, we start on Friday night. And so Friday afternoon, we spend one hour and we just call it kind of the quick clean. And we take one hour and we go through all the house and we clean everything up. Kids are involved, 30 minutes downstairs, 20 minutes upstairs, 10 minutes on bedrooms. We take time to prepare. And we're running through the house because we're getting ready for Sabbath. So we're running through the house and cleaning everything up so that on Sabbath, we're not sitting around going, it's so dirty and gross in here. I gotta clean this up. I gotta. We take time to prepare for it. You see it? You're going to have to do some work, and you'll be frustrated, but don't give up. And I see that I skipped over that thing. Don't miss the point on this. Is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? When should I do it? The best day for you is the day that works for you. For most of you, it's going to be Sunday. Most of you can be off today. You start with your church family worshiping, and then you go home, and you hang out. You read some scriptures. You eat some great food. You delight. You eat dessert. Diets don't count on Sabbath you just let it all go, and you just eat, and you celebrate, and you just, you just delight in your friends and family and life, and you just enjoy the good things that God has given you. The best day is probably Sunday for most of you. Sunday is a marathon work day for me. That doesn't work for me. So my weekends are really Friday and Saturday. So I start Friday night around 6 o'clock, and I go till Saturday around 6 o'clock when I go back to my office and I get ready for Sunday morning. That just works for us. What I would say, though, is the the schedule is six and one, six and one, six and one. Not four and then one, and then I can fit one in here. Then It's six and one, six and one, six and one. So last word on this, and then we're going to receive communion together. The Sabbath is just a way of life, everybody. There's no real right way to do this. Remember, I think God resting, it predates the Old Testament. So it's more of a rhythm hardwired into creation than it is a rule in a book. Do you hear me? It's more of a rhythm hardwired into creation than a rule in the book. So finally, Walter Brueggemann says, he's an he's a incredible theologian, he says, people who keep Sabbath, they live all seven days differently. And I can tell you that's true. So why don't you close your eyes. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9:30 and 11:30. See you next time.